0: Have you ever wondered what it'd be like to be a shepherd? To literally watch and take care of sheep 24 hours a day, all of the time. Last year, I started wondering about this. I picked up a book. It has since become one of my favorite books. It was called The Shepherd's Life. In it, an Englishman named James Rebanks, by the way, I should tell you, this wasn't a Christian book. It had absolutely nothing to do with churches. It had absolutely nothing to do with pastoring. It had nothing to do with Jesus. It was a book about sheep and everything that goes into taking care of them. James Rebakes talks (laughs) rather thoroughly about the breeding of sheep, the rearing of ewes and of tups and trying to match pairs together. How do you work through the nutrition of a sheep, looking for possible signs of sickness? How do you medicate a sheep? How do you help sheep survive the winter? How do you fatten them up? What are the necessary qualities to look for in sheepdogs? I know more about that than I ever thought. It was an absolutely fascinating read. And at one point in his book, James says that he's not telling his story, but he's actually telling you the story of his father of and of his grandfather and of his great-great-grandfather. Because what he is doing is the same thing that his dad did and his grandfather and his great-grandfather has done, and all the shepherds that live in the Lake District of England had done before them. And you know, when I walked away, after reading 304 pages of that book, I learned an awful lot about sheep, but I also learned that shepherds are pretty normal, hard-working people who spend all of their time and all of their energy and all of their thinking and all of their thought life and all of their dreaming on sheep. And as we continue into our third week of our Advent series, our focus this morning will be on shepherds, a particular group of shepherds that we find in Luke chapter 1. If you've been with us for the last couple of weeks, we've been calling this series The Call of Christmas. We started with Zechariah and the call to prepare. It kind of kicks off our Advent series. That just like God prepared the people, with prophecy after prophecy throughout the Old Testament, telling us of the king who would come, we too are called to prepare. To prepare for the coming of the king. That's what the word Advent, Advent means. Waiting for the coming of the king. And then we considered Mary. A young girl who was asked to carry a child. And to endure great ridicule so that the Savior could come into the world. And we too were called to consider the burden that Mary was asked to carry. And to realize that we too can be called to walk through difficulty and suffering. To make a path for the king. And last week we considered Joseph. Who was given a dream and asked to walk in obedience. To marry his betrothed. Knowing all of the challenges that they would face. And to be reminded that we too are called to trust him, even when we don't see how it will all work out. Being reminded that Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus said he will be with us even to the very end of the age. And we were reminded in Zechariah and Mary and Joseph that all three walked in extraordinary obedience because they had a great hope. A great hope that we were moving closer and closer and closer to as we approach Christmas. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, and we'll consider the shepherds this morning. Luke 2, verse 1. In those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. Luke begins this text by giving us a historical context, an actual historical context, an actual verifiable historical context, things that lots of other books, not written by believers, not written by religious people, declare to be true. He gives us a historical context. Caesar makes a decree. Rome wants more taxes. They want to build more things. And you do that by taking a census. You want to know where everyone is so that you can get their dollars. You have a census. That's the backdrop to this whole story. But you don't want to miss this. Because the sovereignty of God is even at work when Romans decide to take more taxes. Because the father's moving to see prophecy fulfilled. Verse four. And Joseph, whom we've discussed, also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. You know the story. We've talked about it in the last couple of weeks. Joseph and now an exceedingly pregnant Mary make an 80-mile journey. I remember when Pam was pregnant with our first, we had a long conversation one afternoon about which car would go to the hospital because one of them took bumps a little worse than the other one, and she wanted the smooth car to take her to the hospital. I'm not sure how this works with Mary and a donkey, but I can't imagine a donkey smoother than a Suburban. But that was her path. An eighty mile journey, which at a minimum, could have taken four days to make from Nazareth to Bethlehem, where they were going to register in fulfilment of Micah five two By the way, you should note the book of Micah was written seven hundred years before the birth of christ Micah five two reads this: but you, O Bethlehem Ephrath you are too little to be among the clowns of Judah. From you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. For God had foretold through Micah that this coming Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. So a Roman census takes them there. Verse 6 testifies that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. It does not suggest whether they got there just in the nick of time, whether they're there for 10 minutes, whether they were there for a week. None of that is in the text. Verse 7, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. These seven verses tell the most incredible and epic story that has ever happened in humankind. And yet, for us this morning, it's going to be the backdrop for our text to bring us to look at the shepherds. Now, I know full well that this text is primarily about Jesus. It's about the miraculous nature of God being born as a baby. The book of Philippians would say, he emptied himself and became flesh. John says, and the word became flesh. That's the nature of this story. But this morning, it's the shepherds I want us to consider. And the call of Christmas that we will gather from looking at them. Verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. Now notice that. Let's consider these shepherds for a second. Because right now in this moment, in verse 8, these guys are at work. They're not following a star. They're not looking for a savior. They're at work. They're doing what they do, staring at sheep, Watching for wolves and bears, they're taking watch, they're protecting their sheep. And on a night that might have seemed like the thousands before it, don't know if you've ever thought about this, in the first century they didn't get two or four weeks of vacation, this was their vacation. Sit on a hill, watch your sheep, wake up and do the next thing. On a night that seemed like everyone before it, God interrupts their night with an angel. By the way, that's an incredible story. They weren't looking for a Savior, and God stepped in and interrupted them. I think that might be true for some of us. When I look back in my own life, I wasn't looking for a Savior as a freshman in high school. I was looking to have fun. I was looking to be successful at sports. I was trying to find a girl who would date me. All the things high school boys do. But I wasn't looking for a savior. And on this night, God budged in. The same way he budged in on my life. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. So just like Mary, and just like Zechariah, they see an angel. What a breathtaking moment to see an angel before you. And this is a real picture, and yet this one is all amplified It's turned up to 13. Because in this moment, the angel is surrounded. The shepherds are surrounded by the glory of the Lord. I would remind you, if you read through the book of Genesis, that light was created long before the sun was. That God has a magnificence about Him that lights up things. The glory of the Lord shined out. And then the angel opens his mouth and declares, verse 10, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord, And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. That's quite an interruption. First you get the angel, then you get the glory of God, and then you get the voice declaring good news to you, interrupting your night. The Savior, Christ the Lord. You'll never find a more incredible announcement. The long-awaited Savior who is coming to deliver the people in a far greater way than the judges of Israel ever had. For this deliverer, this Savior, by the way, you lean into Savior, that's what it means. It's a deliverer, one who comes to deliver, like the judges did in the book of Judges. He's coming to deliver them from their sins. But this time the Deliverer wouldn't be a messenger of God or a tool in the hands of God. No, this Deliverer would be Christ the Lord. Christ, meaning the Anointed One, meaning the Messiah, the long-awaited One. The word Lord is a translation of the word for Yahweh. God. The personal God, the knowable, ruling God, the sovereign, supreme God over everything that you can know. This is how the text describes him, the savior who is Christ the Lord, this deliverer, this Messiah coming would be God and he would be a baby. And this was good news. I want us to consider that for just a moment. This Christmas season, my family has been reading through a Christmas devotional called Come Let Us Adore Him, a book Paul David Tripp put together. It's his Christmas devotional. In it, Dr. Tripp asserts that to truly understand the good news of Christmas, you must first embrace... The worst news of Christmas. For in that moment, not only is there good news, but there is bad news. And here it is. For there to be a need for a deliverer, for there to be a need for a savior, for there to be a need for a Messiah, for there to be a need for a Lord, you've got to need one. So what does that mean? It means we're sinners. It means we fall short. It means we can't do it enough on our own. It means we can't be good enough. It means we can't accomplish everything we want. It means we're not as sovereign as we think we are. It means we're not as in charge or as put together as we want to be. It means that nature, most of us are falling apart. We're just not honest about it. And we need something. Because if we're honest, we're far bigger sinners than we've ever let on. We are more selfish and we are more prideful than anyone knows. Paul David Tripp then writes, Sinners tend to see submission to an authority other than their own as a loss of freedom. And they tend to tell themselves that they have everything they need to successfully control their lives on their own. Sinners have a great commitment to the kingdom of self than they do to the kingdom of God. Now, church, as we gather this morning, you hear me say the word sinners, please know I'm talking about every last person in this room. My hand will go up first. This is not a Pastor preaching down on you moment. This is the Bible declares that all of us struggle with sin. Every last one of us. First John would say, if you say you don't, you're a liar. So we've covered that out. We're all in need of a savior. And in a sense, that's bad news. Because I have my own little kingdom. And I like to be my own little king of my own little kingdom. And I really, really don't want anybody messing with that. And in comes a new king with a better kingdom to make clear how bad I am at being king of my own life and how terrible my little kingdom is. Crushes it. And God in His mercy... Shows that to us. God in His mercy sends a new king, a better king, to unthrone us, to set us free. So that we could have a new king and be a part of a new kingdom. The message of the angels to the shepherds, therefore, is this. Take comfort. You don't have to be in control anymore. You don't have to act like you've got it all together. You don't have to keep putting tape and paste and duct tape around things. For there's a deliverer and a redeemer and a Messiah and a Lord. And He's coming to save you, to redeem you, to deliver you. And then all of eternity puts an exclamation point on it. Verse 13. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace amongst those whom, with whom he is well pleased. If one angel declaring all of this is not enough, it's like heaven broke open. Quite literally. The angels could not hold back their praise. And heaven pops open. Multitude of angels step forth singing loudly in a way that might have been deafening. I can't imagine what that would have been like. But it's in that moment where running seems like a really good idea. To be in the midst of an angel and the glory of God, and then, boom, a choir of angels. They pop in and they start singing. Why? Because they too are subject to the one true king, and they found it overwhelmingly praiseworthy that Jesus, whom they've known for an eternity, for Jesus wasn't born just as a human. Jesus had existed for forever They'd known him for forever. Do you understand how incredible that would have been to the angels to go, whoa, part of the Trinity just did that? Why would he do such a thing? Jesus in John 1 is the agent of creation, the creator of all things. Comes as a baby? humbling himself, taking the very nature of a baby. And why? Because this isn't a story of a baby. Now, the fact that he came as a baby is crucial to the story because he came as a man, just like you and me doing man-like things. Came as a baby, wore diapers, walked through his toddler years. Don't know what that looks like to walk through your toddler years sinless. I'd like to have experienced it. Didn't happen in my house. Grows into a teenager, starts schooling rabbis, grows into an adult, calls men to himself, starts teaching, ultimately goes to the cross to die for your sin and for mine. Why? Because the story of a baby is about a great rescue plan that you and me are slaves to sin, whether we want to admit it or not. We're slaves to sin. So we needed a deliverer. We needed a redeemer. We needed a Messiah. And we needed a new king who would come to free us from such a slavery. Glory to God in the highest. To God be the greatest, the highest, the most glory for His willingness to step out of eternity to do what I couldn't do for myself, to step into my problem, my issues, and solve them. Glory to God in the highest. He is most praiseworthy. Praiseworthy. It's in that moment where these angels having watched men fall on their faces over and over again. Read your scriptures, the Old Testament. You need a set of rules, we'll give you a set of rules. Will you stand up? No. We put you in a perfect environment. We give you one restriction. Can you survive in a perfect environment walking with God and just not touch the tree? No. No. There's not a situation we've ever thrived in. And God reached down and loved us. He became flesh and loved us. To God be the glory. Verse 15 continues the story. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the angels said to one another, or the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Now consider that for a moment. Because these are shepherds. These are shepherds whose job description is stay. These are shepherds whose job description entails never, ever, ever leave the sheep. These are shepherds who were taught from a young age, if a bear comes, pick up a stick and a rock and hope for the best. These are shepherds who fight off wolves. These are shepherds who when storms come, they bunker down. These are men who are not afraid of anything. And yet, when heaven opens... And the proclamation of an angel, followed by the testimony of the angels, declares a deliverer, a messiah, and a king, something happens that's critical that changes them. That changes the nature of their identity. Such that these men who will withstand absolutely anything, in a moment, go, hey, we should leave. We should get out of here. We should follow the star. We should go to Bethlehem. We should take off. And they leave everything behind. For the record, I'm sure God had the sheep under control. But they leave everything behind to go and to acknowledge the one true king, this deliverer, this Redeemer, this Savior, this Lord. And friends, that is the call of Christmas from the shepherds to us. That we too would acknowledge the one true King. That we would recognize in this moment that God steps into our world because our kingdoms aren't working and we are lousy kings. God steps into that moment to deliver us, to redeem us, to free us, so that we can have a relationship with Him, so that we can be redeemed. It's a call to leave everything behind, to worship the King. Friends, the nature of worship is this, all the time. Worship is always an intentional movement to surrender. It's an intentional movement to recognize that he is the king and that I am not. And that I will surrender myself to him to worship him. It's a movement of submission and surrender to recognize my own insufficiency and to proclaim his. So that even in a church in 2017, when we play worship music, there is a moment where you have to acknowledge, He's it. He's awesome. He's incredible. He's praiseworthy. Glory to God. And to rightly do that, it's got to start with, I'm insufficient. I'm broken. I can't do this on my own. I'm not getting it done. Praise God that He is. That's true worship. That's the movement that happens in this text with these shepherds. And it's the call of Christmas to us. Verse 16, And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. They were obedient. They moved to worship. Now, I do want you to know that they're not the only people in this story that know the truth at this moment. The shepherds, recognizing who they are and recognizing the king they have, go to worship and acknowledge the new king. But don't ever move past the fact that King Herod, who knows? Remember, he asked the religious leaders of his time, And they go back and they start studying the Scriptures. They clearly find Micah 5 and they say, He'll be born in Bethlehem. Which tells us two things. Both King Herod and the religious people of the time all knew the Messiah was coming. But did they move from their kingdoms? Did they move away? Did they move to acknowledge the new Deliverer, Redeemer, Messiah, and King? No. Because they like their kingdoms too much. They knew the signs, they knew the place, and they refused to look for the one true king. Friends, this Christmas season, don't miss that. We can't be like the religious leaders, the King Herods of this time and miss who the king is, to surrender ourselves to the one true king text continues 17 when they saw it they made known the saying that had been told them concerning the child and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them verse 19 but Mary treasured up all these things pondering them in her heart that had to be so significant to her verse 20 the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they'd heard and seen just as it had been told to them These shepherds walk away from this moment, changed men, glorifying and worship God for all they'd heard and seen, for they had a chance to come face to face with the Redeemer. It's the call of Christmas. This year that you would come face to face with the Redeemer, that you would acknowledge him as the one true King, that you would acknowledge that you're not getting it done on your own, that you fall short. That in your best attempts to do whatever it is you're wanting to do, you're falling short. By the way, welcome to the club. That's true of all of us. That's the nature of church. We're a group of broken people who gather together to proclaim the unbroken one. That's where you say amen. Thank you. We gather together to declare that not a single person in this room is sufficient of themselves. We acknowledge the sufficient one. And that's the call of Christmas from the shepherds to us. We'd see our Savior face to face, and we'd move to worship Him, acknowledging that He, and He alone, is the one true King. This morning, it was our desire to paint a picture of worship for you, and then move into a time of worship. We restructured this service purposefully. It wasn't just to make room for the kids. Because I can't call you to worship and paint you a picture of surrender and worship and not give you a chance to respond and worship. So I'm going to close in prayer and the worship team is going to come forward and lead us in a time of worship. Let me pray for us. Great Father. Thank you for loving us enough that you would send your son. Father, there are 10,000 ways you could have done it. But Father, you sent him as a baby, as a human baby, to be just like us. So we could live a life just like us. So he'd be relatable to us. And Father, on a night when these shepherds had all their normal stuff going on, No doubt some of them had kids that were sick and wives that were doing all sorts of stuff. And no doubt they were crazy busy in their own rights. But Father, you interrupted their night with a proclamation of the Savior and you called them to worship. Father, as we're gathered here this morning, if there are any among us that don't believe in you, Father, I pray that you would step into their lives. Father, You would crack open their minds to reveal Yourself to them, just like the angels revealed themselves, not of their own will, but of Yours. God, we ask that You would move, that You would make Yourself known. And as we step into this moment of worship, God, that You would just open our eyes to the surrender that happens in worship as we acknowledge who you are, let us surrender our kingship to you. God, we love you. We're so thankful for the work of Jesus at the cross and in his life. And we're thankful that you sent him as a baby. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.